0: This is a headgum podcast.
1: Temp check. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional
2: terms and fees apply. This is a HeadGum Podcast. Hello,
0: halflings! It's me, Jeremy Cobb, but A.J. Bissinger calls me the Great Cobbinator, first of his name. And I am joined today by... uh, Hello, it's your boy, Navarre. Back again. Hey! That's right! Half-Leg Avenger Navar Jackson! Back! And black! Oh my god! This is the wrong dungeon and the wrong dragon. <laughs> Full Prince vibe? Woof! <laughs> <laughs> this makes them even more black!
1: Cake, liches and bitches And lands in the cusp
0: <gasps> of a penis. Ooh, Oh no! On a nap just a game that's disgusting and i love it we're about to get into something real big now (laughs) Uh, you are looking a little bit more tan than i think the last time i saw you it's hot as fuck here in mexico so (laughs) yes that makes sense very understandable uh but we are not alone in this call there is a third entity we are joined for this episode by writer professional GM, host of Questing Time, male comedian, and competitive belly dancer, Paul Foxcroft. We are joined for this recording by a writer, professional GM, host of Questing Time, male comedian, and sworn enemy of all that is good and holy, Paul Foxcroft. We are joined for this episode by writer, professional GM, host of Questing Time, male comedian, and my dad,
3: Paul Foxcroft. <laughs> that's, that's it, that's the one.
1: And now we know who your second person is.
3: Firefighter, the very long, slow process of incrementally doxing uh, Jeremy's, Jeremy's <laughs> moves <dead>. on. <laughs> To its next phase. <clears throat> if you're if you're playing along with the secret three BH game at home of progressively doxing the host, tick that one off. Tick that one off your creepy bingo card. <clears throat> Just thought uh, I'd have look. a quick go at your audience there before we move any further. In playing that some I'm of them are creeps. Look.
0: I feel like it's a sign of accomplishment if you have at least one creepy stalker, uh, to an extent. Like, it shows that your your audience is big enough that at least one person has uh, developed an unhealthy interest in you and your
3: life. Um, uh, yeah. I, you know what? I agree with that statement, but it's also like... It's the silver it's not, lining version. It's not a fun thing. Yeah, thank No, God, it's I'm a very accessible. silver lining out. <laughs> Willing yeah, to share that story bad. if we have time. Uh,
0: almost exclusively bad. Paul, how are you doing? <laughs>
3: I'm all right, I think. I don't. It, it's a testament to how 2023 is going for everybody that I, I can't answer that question with any degree of certainty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm okay, man. I'm in a house, well, a flat, I should say, here in uh, London. Not going to get any more specific than that, Docs fans. <laughs> and um, uh, it's, it's fine. It's been, Nevada it, um, was saying it's been very hot over in uh, New Mexico. It's mm-hmm. been raining here for 100 days. I <clears> because yeah. one of our one of our civic leaders angered a witch.
0: Um, mm. The most London of summers. Yeah, <laughs> sounds like I. Yeah, yeah, yeah I I could, but it's
1: we could use a hundred days of rain. It's it's a hundred and seven <clears throat> degrees Fahrenheit. What like what's, I don't know fifty thousand Celsius or whatever.
3: Um, <laughs> literally, what's that? What's that in old money? It might be. It's somewhere uh, in the
1: forties. I think would be that's my too, best. Best. That's guess. too
3: hot. Yeah, we it, it hit. Um, <clears throat> In, I want to say June, uh, it was hitting like 30, 35 over here with a degree of regularity. And yeah. here's the thing. I say that to American friends of mine and they go, and, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but you have had that before. Like, you yeah. know how to do that. And I live in a city that was built principally by Victorians to retain heat. <laughs> yeah. Yes, um, it,
0: is, it is very important for anyone who does not live in the UK to know that most homes in the UK do not have central cooling. So you are not looking at a, a situation with AC. Uh, people are having to get fans. There is, for the last however many years, there's been a mad rush on all the supermarket fans every year. Mm-hmm. So like yes. by June, there's basically none available. Oh And yep. everyone just
2: sweats.
3: Yep. Uh, We, England, no, I was going to say Britain, England becomes uh, damp, a damp nation in the the late spring, early summer. But hey, don't worry, uh, people who are afraid of the weather, because uh, it's now uh, perpetually raining during what should be summer. And therefore, (laughs) I, a right wing television pundit who I saw two (laughs) days ago, used that as evidence that climate change is a myth. myth. How can the climate be changing if the weather is profoundly different (laughs) from what we would have expected it to be? Was his actual (laughs) argument.
0: Um, Uh, For anyone confused about uh, the Celsius to Fahrenheit conversions, 35 degrees Celsius is about... 95 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, and 107 degrees Fahrenheit is 41.6 repeating, uh, degrees Celsius. So, r- ugly temperatures all around, yeah.
3: I mean, and it's the repeating that gets you, <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. If it was just sixes.
1: 0.6,
3: yeah, <laughs> yeah, so it's the more sixes sixes I get, is, the get worse. yeah. yeah. I, fe- I find round number temperatures much easier to do. <laughs> uh, unless they're primes. Yes. Um, don't care prime? how many
0: decimals you have. Just stop being hot. <laughs> Actually, and it's also worth mentioning, it's, it's humid in the UK as well. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. It is well, not a dry heat.
3: It is very humid. Although I've, the, the, the two terms I've recently heard people use, and the one i was used from my childhood, like my grandmother would call it, is people think, it's very close. It's very close today. And I like that as a term because it's like like, the air has closed in on you. Yeah. It's like the weather is giving you a sort of perpetual soggy hug. No,
0: Um, but the, Mm. the term my talker this (laughs) weather.
3: Yeah. The term, the term my nan would have used, which I think is more emphatic is it's muggy. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes. Um, Yes. I think that exists. I think I've heard that term in the U S as well. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, Moving away from mugginess, Paul. (laughs) No,
3: let's, I mean, I'm exclusively going to talk about weather on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs)
0: okay fine retaining uh
3: staying on the topic
0: of mugginess paul can you give us your nerdy origin story uh (laughs) how you got into the muggy business of ttrpgs uh before the business the muggy hobby of ttrpgs the uncomfortably wet hobby
3: uh too accurate that is very accurate
0: accurate.
3: and also (laughs) what a what a a segue from my actual attempt
2: to derail the show um let's see i would have been okay Picture the scene, me but younger. <laughs> Which, given that
3: this is an audio format, oh, they can't just see go for me. your life. <laughs> yeah. Go for your life, listeners. Um,
0: picture whatever uh, you think his voice like. Picture the <clears throat> listen to his voice and then picture the person that you think his voice should belong to. I can give you a good frame of younger.
3: A good frame of reference for me is a sixteen-year-old kid, and it's the kid from the Wonder Years, but English. Nah. Um, <laughs> but uh, Fred Savage. There we go. Yeah. Um, yep. but. Uh, my best buddy was a kid called Pete Larkin, um, and we would... Uh, there was way back in the past, uh, there was a thing called Blockbuster Video. Because in... Mm. in the, and like So <clears throat> my first summer job was working at a place called the Virgin Megastore, which was like a music shop, and Blockbuster Video, you bring rent video. So before Netflix, the audience, I'm talking to the audience now, um, you had to go physically to a building and ask if they would give you a copy of a film and that you'd get the film and it would be trapped in a little black box. And then you had to put the black box into a machine in your house to make, and make it scream. And then you could watch the film. Um, but we used to rent videos from the Blockbuster video in our, in our little town and um, in the northwest of England. No doxing. And mm. um, we already know the guy's name. So the doxers <clears throat> yeah. are. He's, he's yeah. very dead.
2: Oh. Um, and. <laughs> <to> <laughs> Yeah, um, <laughs> massive.
0: such, such a you know, dark turn
2: you know, I'm, I'm so sorry it's fine
0: like,
3: I'm, I didn't like, it's, I've had six seven years to deal with it uh, you know, oh my goodness it was, oh, awful the day like three days before his wedding it was terrible oh, man um, but that's not what the story is
1: um, <clears throat> I'm laughing because I'm uncomfortable so just in case anybody's wondering, that, wondering if I'm an asshole or my or whole,
3: that's my whole that's my whole comedy shtick yeah um, here's the thing Jeremy you know we're friends. You know what I'm like. And you were like, let's get Paul on. Um, yes. Uh, so no, but Pete and I would go down to the local Blockbuster Video and um, rent a-, a wide array of films. And like a lot of 16-year-olds at the time, and probably still now, uh, we thought we were like really good at movies. Like, we- And we so to that end, we'd wind up having chats with the guy behind the counter at Blockbuster Video, who also thought he was really good at movies, partially because everyone was sort of learning that Quentin Tarantino had started out working in a video rental store. And so everyone mm-hmm. who was hanging out at the video rental store was like, I'm that good. <laughs> because, like, in the, same, <clears throat> in the same way that everybody who buys an electric guitar in their
2: teens is right. Van Halen, or whoever's relevant now. Yeah. Um, um, I don't know, Aqua.
0: Um, but um, yeah, Jack White? I don't. I don't even know who the guitar heroes are no. these days. I feel like it's the same people. I feel like it's still Van Halen and Jimmy Page and Jimmy Hendrix yeah. and all those But I think
3: it's actually. I think it's been Dave. I think it's Dave Grohl's a safe bet for who's good at a thing now. True. But um. Uh. But yeah. Um. The, the guy behind the counter was into uh. played some RPGs, <clears throat> and we played. Looking back, this is a conversation for more exploration. The first RPG I played, I'm like. I had a fun time playing an RPG. Now, I wish it had been a different product. Uh, We played uh, Werewolf the Wild West, Mm. which was a White Wolf, uh, World of Darkness, second edition. Uh, They did, um, I can't think of the right term, sort of time-shifted books Mm. for each of their main uh, games. So there was Vampire the Masquerade, Werewolf the... the, Apocalypse? uh, Werewolf the Apocalypse, thank you. Mage the Ascension, Wraith the just don't play this, and Changeling the Dreaming. And um, they did Vampire Dark Ages, Werewolf the Wild West, Mage uh, was a Renaissance game, I think. I think there was one for Wraith, and I'm sure there was one for Changeling, but we never got to them. And uh, Werewolf the Wild West was a Wild West-themed werewolf game, um, which... Look, a 16 year old kid who had never left the UK except for one brief trip to France had no appreciation for the, uh, I assume, I haven't looked back at this for a while, but the offensive cultural appropriation <laughs> from, if no one else, Native Americans and First Nation Canadians mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> um, with some of the stuff in that book. Mm. And uh, now I we can't played- help
0: but imagine. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah, we don't need to look.
0: Um, <laughs> Somebody will
3: look. Sure. <laughs> Tweet out Jeremy. Um, but look, but the, point, <laughs> my, the, point of, the point of this was, we played like two sessions, and um, I noticed two things about this that I really... One, I really liked the aspect of role-playing, and I also realised, boy, it's hard to not be any... I really, Looking back now, sorry, I realised it's really hard to make anything other than a combat character in Werewolf. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mike, we got chatting with this guy. Mike... It turned out he was at university in our city, the city of Liverpool. Mm. Um, And, um, well, you might, hopefully listeners will know, Liverpool, uh, northwest of England, we invented the Beatles and street crime. And um, at the university there, one of the, there's two, there's three universities. One of the universities, they had a Vampire the Masquerade, VARP, which was Mm. the rock, paper, scissors version. (coughs) Mm -hmm. Um, and me and Pete wound up sort of being dragged along, not dragged along, gladly went along to that with Mike to see what that was like. And I kind of got hooked uh into that LARP. Um there was a second vampire LARP at the other university, which was more like Fest LARP, sort of full combat um mm. stuff, with a homebrew system and um better
2: nerds! Uh, mm. <clears throat> the first one, the, the Mind's Eye Theatre one. Just had oh a lot of red flags. Um, <laughs> there was there was. Uh, funnily enough, we had
3: we had the COO of Cobalt Press staying at our flat at the weekend. <laughs> oh, um, not in that game. <laughs> no, um, and weirdly, we got chatting about like just weird weird RPG experiences we've had, and i wanted I'm telling this story so it's fresh in my mind but there was a guy, I won't name him because that's just unfair. If you're going to dox
1: anybody today, let's, let's dox the bad <laughs> people. Oh.
3: <laughs> there was a guy Very in that fun. game who I cannot stress is not, does not, it's not affiliated with Gobalt Press. Um, but uh, this guy was, he, he'd made, he made, he played a gangrel, sort of animalistic oh. vampires. He'd made uh, body armor out of skateboarding kit and spray painted like the gangrel wolf head and the Ace of Spades logo on it in white, white spray paint, and then had gone over it again with like Games Workshop thick acrylic, so it had a horrible texture to it. Mm. <clears throat> and then, um, but he he played a character called J- Captain Jack Lazarus, um, and which means some anyone who knows will be like, "Oh, that guy." If he's listening, by the way, you're a piece of shit. Um, <laughs> you're a terrible person. Um, but he um, he would dress like this out of game. And walk around town. Oh, no. If he saw you, like, it was a month between games. If he saw you, like, on the street, he would just shout, like, your character's name at you. He was in character all, like, in game all the time. And oftentimes, <laughs> when I was in the city I was living in at the time, I'd be, like, with my normal friends uh, from my university times. Or, mm-hmm. like, with my other buds from, like, my high school friends who were in town. Or, like, just not wanting to be, like, have... A name that is clearly not mine shouted at me by a man <laughs> who once gave an interview to the local paper claiming he has a disease that turns him into a vampire. Um, oh, no. and um, he, I also I worked part time in uh, a store called Worlds Apart, still up in Liverpool. It's a really nice little comic store, um, not independently owned now, but still a nice place to shop. Mm. And um, there's a Worlds Apart and there's a forbidden, forbidden Planet, and the staff would sort of osmose back and forth between them, and um. One afternoon, I'd gone into Stukes to my friend who was working the till at the Forbidden Planet there. <clears throat> I'm just having a catch-up. And this guy, Captain Jack Lazarus, comes in, makes kind of a show of walking in,
2: and wants um, to stalked around the store in, in the manner of a cowboy assessing cattle.
3: Oh, no. Um, like, hands on hips, thumbs in the belt loops head tilted back, but looking down at stuff. And then he lifted a, very unsubtly, he took a mug, a Doctor Who mug, which I believe was a Patrick Charlton, early Doctor Who picture mug, and Mm -hmm. left. And I said to them, my guy was like, did you see that? And the two people, they came to my friend and his colleague went, yeah, yeah. You got, you've got like five minutes. And I, I went, wait. And within five minutes, this guy arrived back at the store. He'd left the store and turned left. Uh, he arrived back at the store from the right, like just sweat schwitzing out of breath.
2: Burst through the door and went, oh, "Just stop some kids taking this!" Oh my
3: and, God. um <laughs> <laughs> Oh no! And the guys went, "Yeah, okay, just put it back where you found it."
4: <laughs>
3: um, oh no! Yeah, one of the guys, one of the guys from the game, um, got a lift back with him one night because he didn't know better, and was like, "Do you want to come in for a tea? I was like, uh, "Yeah." And, like, his hallway was just... He lived in, like, a two-up, two-down in uh, the Wirral, I think. And his hallway was, like, just all painted red. The kitchen was entirely painted green. He referred to the rooms as, like, the blue zone, the black zone. Went at the kitchen and was like, uh, how would you take your tea? And this guy's, like, looking at this room where everything has green paint caked on every surface. Uh, and he goes, oh, don't worry, I've got three layers of curtains, so you can't be silhouetted. <sighs> And the guy's like, not what I was worried about. Um, what? This is like the Daniel
0: Day-Lewis of LARP. Yeah. <laughs> um, so because of,
3: because of, broadly, because of him, a man who, uh, anytime somebody tried to hurt his character, would, like, follow them home, um, I moved to the other game, and I started playing D&D with those guys. Yeah. What a what a fucking horrible tangent to the story. Yeah. I am just told... <laughs> I'm, to the point where I'm like, I'm tempted to just go again and be like, "I knew a guy at Blockbuster Video." No, right? that's <laughs> No, here's the,
0: here's the thing, Paul. I forgot to do this up top, but we have recently started doing a segment whenever we have guests called a lore drop, in which you can tell a story and we are not allowed to ask any questions about it. Uh, it's a story oh, from no. your life. Oh, I, I have feel so like so many you better can... stories. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like that is quite a lore drop. Um, you can throw it another one later if you want but i do want to very quickly give navar a chance to jump in because with your own lore drop before we move on uh with the overall conversation
1: yeah um i've been thinking about this a lot and i had an answer which has now escaped me after hearing that um, horrific story. So, uh,
0: <laughs> it's, well, the good news is even though he stole your, uh, your thought, he will bring it back in a minute and pretend like he stopped someone taking it. <laughs> yeah. So just give it, give it five oh, minutes. You, dr- you dropped this. Um, yep. yeah. <laughs> car, car trouble.
3: <laughs> no, Captain Jack Lazarus. God, what I a name. I know. Uh, and so also, can we also just point yeah. out like from an in-game perspective, Calling yourself Lazarus is a bit too on the fucking nose for a vampire. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. very much so. What's your vampire called? Oh, a Tony blood drink. Like, it's just... (laughs) They're gonna work it out. Yeah. The game is called Masquerade. (laughs) Uh...
0: (laughs) yeah feel free to jump in whatever Nevada, yeah when you have what when, did when the idea when it comes back to you
1: i can't i'll have to think of it again but are two that are just like sort of um whatever things are i once deadlifted over 500 pounds and i once taught my high school math class when the teacher was out um and wow i had a better thing but those are two that are just like
3: I have no idea how this could be the case, but I kind of want these two to be the same story.
1: <laughs> so we were trying to add, and then no, um, they are they are very different timelines in my life. But uh, but yes, those are two mm-hmm. things that are true
0: facts. I imagine teaching some classes can feel like having to deadlift five hundred pounds. Uh, yeah, but I okay. So Paul, Come you. On we know now how you got into TTRPGs in general and how you got into D&D. Yeah. Uh, I guess let's fast forward sometime to the origins of questing time, because <coughs> your interest uh, did not just stay uh, on a hobby level. You started creating, uh, you started creating stuff for TTRPGs. Can you uh, describe for us, can you tell us like how, how that pro uh, basically the journey that led you to the creation of questing oh. time?
3: Yeah. yeah. Um, broadly. Well, I'd, I'd had, I'd played a lot of, RPGs
2: when I was living up uh, in the Northwest. Um, including like, I mainly played
3: um, played a lot of White Wolf games. White Wolf did a really good sci-fi game called Eon or Trinity, depending on at what point you bought the book and when they'd been sued. Um, <laughs> they did um, played a bunch of vampire spin-offs, played a lot of D- uh, what was then AD&D, the tail end of AD&D I played. Yeah. And then th- third edition. And then um, I also played a lot of Legend of the Five Rings 1st uh, Edition, which, again, going with my culturally insensitive history of gaming, is an Asian fantasy role-playing written largely by white people.
4: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um,
3: mm. And I think current editions do a lot better than the 1st Edition did for that. Um, but I'd be interested to have a longer chat about that later. Uh, and then I moved to London to do. I was originally. Oh god, I'm a failed biochemist who retrained as a stage manager. And so I was in London doing like live events, stage management, production work. I sold RPGs. I worked in a little, had a part-time job selling board games and RPGs in a little, a little shop in central London that's no longer there. And then I kind of just fell away from it for a while. Like we played like occasional
2: bits of we didn't have a campaign going, but I had like a good, God, maybe like nine year hiatus from
3: really playing anything. Uh, Mm. with like board games, sure, but nothing you would be like, oh, that's an RPG. Uh, A lot of video game stuff. Went back and did like Baldur's Gate and Planescape Torment, which I think is still my favorite, uh, video game of all time Mm. because of the writing. And, um, then two guys, uh, one guy is a lovely bloke called Chris Mead, um, who has a uh, little um, what do you call it a Substack thing about improv and fun things with the imp- within the improv space. Um, and the other guy, who I'm not going to name, um, uh, don't like him anymore because of his his weird politics. But um, he, uh, those two guys came up to me and were like, "Would you?" Because I was doing a lot of improvising at this point and teaching improv, uh, doing improv shows, and um, helping out with other improv projects, they asked me if I'd help them with a sort of sci-fi slash fantasy improv thing. And I said, yep, sure. Um, you guys have played D&D, right? Because let's like start there. And they both went, no. And I sort of went, how? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I, th- I thought, well, look, get a pick, pick three or four friends, and I'll run you a little D&D game, just as a sort of rehearsal thing. And this was when fourth edition was out. And I look, there's a lot of interesting stuff that's come through fourth edition. I at the time didn't dig it, uh, and so I shifted to Pathfinder. Mm. And I ran them through the first two books of Rise of the Rune Lords. Mm.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, and around the same time, I had a double act with the brilliant Carrie Ad Lloyd. Uh, from the Griefcast, which is a wonderful podcast about uh, grieving, um, who's recently just published her first book, You Are Not Alone, uh, a book about grief, mm. and 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 living through it uh, and with it. And um, Cariad's great. And um, we had a double act called Carrie and Paul where we would just do a two-hander improvised show, which I think the tagline was uh, an improvised comedy show with sad bits, because our mm. goal was to do improvised theatre that happened to be funny. Mm. Um, and basically, had one night during a show, stopped and went i'm too pregnant to keep doing this uh like this wasn't a surprise she was like six months Um, (laughs) when did this happen (laughs) uh, yeah um but this was in like 2016 and so we had a chat after that she was like i just can't do the rest of the shows and i was like that's fine and she's why don't you do that dungeons and dragons idea you had and so questing time on stage, me getting comedians on stage to play D&D happened because my double act partner had a kid uh, and, um, and made me do it. Because the idea was I'd keep the slot ticking over in that venue's booking um, calendar mm-hmm. so that when she had stopped having children. <laughs> we that was not the term I meant when she when she was um back on her feet after um expelling the, the, the child
0: uh, from yeah. within her.
3: Exactly. Uh we can go back to the show. Now that has never happened because a second there was a plague and then a second child. Um <laughs> Uh and, and yeah, um but um Questing Time continued on uh, live shows up until the plague. And then since then has been a live stream um in the main. We've done a couple of live shows after, since after the um, the plague, but uh, we're not currently doing live shows. I'm looking. Funny enough, spent today emailing venues to see where we can pop it, where we can put it next, and I'm trying to find somewhere we can film it. But that's not the question. But that was it, basically. Um, yeah, I just thought how how could I? I think I'd watched the very first penny arcade live show, mm-hmm. and I'd thought, oh, this is fun. This is interesting. People watch this. Um. I wonder if I could do it on stage because I've learned I'm not a good uh, business person because a smart me would have gone, oh, this is good. I wonder if I can put this online for a mass audience, (laughs) Uh, early doors with a load of professional entertainers. And if I'd had that thought, I would have gazumped Mercer by about two years. Uh, I think, what well, I'd, well, I'd had the thought, mm-hmm. um, but it turns out mm-hmm. I didn't, uh, because I'm. there's no shock to anybody. Not as smart or talented as Matt um
1: But um, I mean, I think to good? be fair, we should also give credit to Felicia Day, who was mm-hmm. part of Geek and Sundry and pulled a critical roles. That's in. true. Um, I, I am curious, though, just from your story, was was the was role playing games what got you interested in doing improv in the first place?
3: That's interesting. In that n- no um I uh, but I used to think they were completely separate things. Okay. Um so I I got into improv entirely by mistake. I had gone for a lunch with a friend of mine who was trying to work out fundraising ideas for a local comedy theater in London called the Canal Cafe. And I'd said, "Well, hey, I'd been up in mm-hmm. Edinburgh working with a improv a student improv group called the Improverts out of the Bedlam Theater in Edinburgh." And um, I'd been doing their tech and a bit of production work for them. And I said to my buddy, well, look, you've got all these young comedian, comedic performers and a stage. Uh, I think those are the only ingredients to an improv show. Why not do that? Because there's no overheads. And um, while I was right about there being minimal overheads, I was wrong about them being the only ingredients. Um, because <laughs> uh, she was half listening to me, and like three, d- I just bought Keith Johnston's improv. And um, was reading that on a bus, and my phone went, and a woman said, "Hi, I'm the artistic director of the theatre. We've got you a cast. When do you want to start directing?" Which was not what I had proposed. Um, but I literally had just read in the book the last se- the sentence I'd read was something along the lines of "just say yes," and I thought, do "You know what? If I screw this up, I never have to see these people again. I'm going to try and wing this." And I, I did. That's how I met Cariad. Like, Cariad was in that group, um, along with... Who else was in that group? Um, the group was called The Institute. It was Cariad, a comic called Sarah Pasco, um, an actress called Gemma Whelan, who you might recognize oh, yeah. from Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. et al. Um, yeah. And I feel like I'm missing three or four people who've gone on to do big things. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm uh, uh, objectively the least successful member of that group. <laughs> Um, by any by any measurement of that, unless you're measuring appearances on Three Black Halflings. <laughs> I was case. about to say Ha-ha! you're the only Suck one. It. Suck it, fools! Um, <laughs> They're you're the
0: only uh, one of that group that's managed to make it here. So, correct. You know, <laughs> Game of yeah. Thrones,
3: please. objectively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't see. Uh, I don't see uh, Gemma Gemma Whelan writing writing uh, four pages for MCDM. <laughs> exactly. Which I was. I, 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 that's weird because I framed that as if I was as if it was like an inverse boast, and I realized no, oh, <laughs> I am actually proud of that. No, that's really. Oh, this cool. has gotten really complicated <laughs> as, a, as a line. Uh, let's move on. Let's move on. <laughs> uh, uh, this is actually a
0: little bit of a side question, at least for me. Uh, yeah. I'm curious about this because I've had a little bit of improv training in the U.S., Shoot. but my my observation seems to be that the improv scene in the u.s is a lot more robust in terms of how in terms of like the amount of it exists yes yes (laughs) what is your experience with uh, american versus british improv from like a theoretical standpoint and i guess also just a practical standpoint
3: um what interesting so uh, the, I think the biggest difference is we didn't have an improv scene and we, we have one now, kind of. We were getting one and then COVID happened and that set us back a while, I think. Like, case in point, I'm not really in that
2: scene now because um, mm. COVID. Yeah, yeah. Um, The biggest difference was, and I don't have my dates um, necessarily accurate for this, but Keith Johnston, who was... Uh, you, can, you can trace modern improv back to... Let me rephrase. I'm going to argue, rather than say
3: this is fact, but I think you can trace modern improv back to, like, three figures. Um, uh, Viola Spolin, um, in her book, uh, Games for Actors and Non-Actors, and the work she did around that, who heavily influenced both Del Close, uh, who was in L.A. and then Chicago, and Keith Johnston, who was in London at the time, working at the Royal Court with a theatre machine. Mm. And um, Johnston developed a lot of... uh, not exclusively, but Johnson developed quite a lot of what we would think of as short-form games. The sort of stuff you would see on Who's Line.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Which and was originally
0: a British show, for those who don't it
3: know. It was, yeah, mm-hmm. based off of the work <laughs> of the Comedy Store players. Um, uh, and um, But even, weirdly, a lot of those games were designed as teaching exercises to demonstrate, illustrate, or cement in a performer's mind a particular principle. So, mm-hmm. um, uh, for example, but... but with the limitation that up until, and again, I don't have this date exact, but ballpark up until 77, 78, um, it was illegal to perform improvised shows in the United Kingdom because thanks to a very old statute, uh, any theatrical work had to have the script read through and mm. um, is ratified, the word I want, um, okay approved by the office of the Lord Chamberlain. <laughs> now, improv shows don't have a script, so they couldn't, be checked mm-hmm. now, uh, you might be familiar with uh, every improv game has a billion different names. You might know the improv game new choice mm-hmm. uh, yeah. where like whatever either of you does, somebody maybe rings a little bell and then whatever you just did was struck from the record as if it never happened, and you must immediately throw out a new ideally different idea and this is well, this existed originally to kind of uh, well no, this was used to train improvisers to uh, get used to dropping ideas and used to trusting their instincts and going with whatever the first thing that comes into their head is. The origin of this game was Keith said to the Lord Chamberlain's office, he sent them a letter saying, We're going to, we'd like to do a show. We know you can't check the script beforehand because we don't use one. But if you'd like to send a representative to the stage, we'll give him a little bell. And if we do anything he doesn't like, he can ring the little bell and we'll change it. <laughs> um, and then because of this, because Keith just couldn't do his job, um, <laughs> he moves to Canada. Um, and I think he founded or at least joined the Loose Moose Theatre in Calgary and began to develop improv over there. So in the U.S., you had Del Close in Chicago Mm -hmm. kind of forging what improv was going to be in the U.S. vernacular, and that gave you, amongst other things, the Harold as a format, uh, the Armando, I think, came out of the Second City, and also a lot of interesting performers went through there, like uh, Tina Frey, Dan Aykroyd, that kind of crew. Yeah. Uh, Canada had Basically Keith all in, of Saturday Night Live Yeah, well Canada had Keith Plowing away in Calgary And that's led to people like a friend of the show Mark Meir, mm. Edmontonian improv legend um, Coming at lots of interesting shows in Canada Britain had Nobody For like a long time And then off of the back of Keith's work um, The Comedy Store Players happened That got picked up, turned into Who's Line And for a long time we just had Who's Line Which is useful in that, like, everyone in the UK knows what improv is. As long as improv is exactly whose line and nothing else. (laughs) Um, Whereas in the US... um, Yeah, it's more developed.
0: There's long form. There's all sorts of different... Yeah. Yeah. It also Which like not pervades to say, the industry. I think like that's the it. way that like, our movies are made to a much greater extent.
3: Yeah, like we have long form stuff in the UK, but it's kind of recent, or at least recent in making any real waves. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm thinking of three shows in particular. Um, am I thinking of three shows? thinking of two shows in particular. I'm thinking of um, the long-form musical Olivier Award-winning improvised musical Showstopper, mm. and I'm thinking of the For My Money and for the money of most people who talk about improv, uh, ostentatious the improvised Jane Austen show, um, which is uh, a group of the best improvisers in the UK doing the best improv in the UK, mm. um, and um, those have found a big audience. But it's also a little bit because I think in the UK you need to have a hook to sell an improv show.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Like, because someone goes, "What's your show about?" You can't go anything, because that's <laughs> not an answer. Um, that's that sounds like you've got. Oh, I don't know. Um, it's partly why Seinfeld never caught on over there. I wish you were kidding. <laughs> and um, it's not that Seinfeld didn't catch on. Like, it's one of those things. Like, comedians love Seinfeld.
0: Yeah, it just never and- got. It never got exported the, to the degree that uh, Friends did. Like, no mm. one really saw it.
3: But, but yeah. well here's let's let's not compare the writing on those two shows <laughs> and, and claim and claim that they are alike fruit. Um, <laughs> you're comparing apples to um I don't know, less good apples? <laughs> I only
0: compare them because they are both massively popular uh, uh, NBC sitcoms from the 90s, one yep. of which became incredibly popular in the UK. And the other one, even though its humour is much closer to the classic English and British style of humour, never yep. caught on to nearly the same degree.
3: I'm curious, and this is a question for both of you, how much do you think the theme tunes was part of that? Ha! <laughs> <laughs> hmm. <laughs> I I don't know. I don't,
0: I honestly go ahead. Navar.
1: Yeah. I was just going to say, like, I'm trying to think like how much of it would be something that hooks a new listener. So music wise, I'll say this because now I have, I have to give you my convoluted answer. Uh, when I listen to music, if it doesn't catch me in those first 30 seconds, I will stop listening to it regardless of like, it could have the best bridge in the world. Um, but I won't know because I won't listen to it any further. Uh, a show I am more inclined to skip an intro than to listen to the intro so I don't care as much about an intro song. Mm.
3: That's I say that's fair but this is the 90s. Yeah, We're even skipping in the, an intro but just meant you left the room for 30 I would kind yeah, leaving in. the room. <laughs> <laughs> okay, if I didn't watch
1: the intro to any oh, show in the 90s, the image, it was fine. The yeah. image
3: I have of you watching, like, you come around to your friend's house. Because this was a thing people did here. When Friends aired, people would go to their friend's house to watch Friends live on, like, 9 o'clock on a Friday night. I'm like, is Navarro okay? He just, he just left, left the room. I just hate
1: that song so much. Um Yeah.
3: So, yeah,
1: I just, like, I, I don't think a lot of those same songs even, like, stick in my brain from that time. So, I was fairly young, but still, even then, to, like, it just... Uh, yeah,
0: I, I, I don't know. It must be content though. I, yeah. I wouldn't put it past it for some people. Seinfeld also lacks a proper opening credit sequence in the same vein as friends. Mm-hmm. Like mm. Seinfeld is uh, the intros are usually just Jerry Seinfeld doing standup, uh, over bass slapping. Mm -hmm. Like there's there's rarely like a starring Jerry Seinfeld, (laughs) you know, like as he's like and the yeah, it's it's so yeah. Um, But the reason I bring this up is because uh, one of when we're talking about actual play, uh, many of the most successful uh, actual play shows are populated uh, by or rather the casts are people who are either professional improvisers or have a lot of experience with that style of performance Uh, obviously dimension 20 is probably the most prominent example Mm -hmm. but nad pods another one featuring again Mm -hmm. some of the same people from dimension 20 uh i'm guessing dungeons (laughs) and daddies i'm betting a bunch of those dudes have done improv in the past uh whereas freddy would be or exactly yeah yeah Yeah. and whereas for sure beth may yeah yeah, but in the UK, that is less the case. I, I think Questing Time is one of the only, uh, is possibly the only UK show that I know of uh, that specifically has comedians on it, even if they're not all improv yeah. comedians, but co- like you grab specifically funny people to be on yes. the show.
3: Yeah, um, th- I think there's a couple of others, but I'm not giving them the fucking time. <laughs> um, they're my <laughs> direct competition. They should the be friendly. Um, exactly. No, no, I, I, they, I don't. I don't know. Are there? A, I'm not sure there are anybody in this particular niche or mm. niche, if you will. And I don't like that. Um, uh, thank you. <laughs> nice share. Uh, yeah, but um, Nikki. Well, this is this this to, to return to Nev's point from earlier on, which was like, was, did I see any commonality between improv and, and improv uh, improv and uh, role playing games? Like I said, originally, no. I thought they were completely different things. And I then I had a realisation, it was when I started teaching a prof,
4: <clears throat>
3: and I wound up th- spending more time thinking about the processes, I was like, uh, and it was just around the same time as I got back into playing tabletop RPGs, I was like, mm. oh, this is exactly the same. Yeah. It just instead of carry out to say yes and to an idea, dice sometimes say no. <laughs>
4: yeah.
3: Um, but, but even when the dice aren't rolling, still like whoever's DMing, is improvising a lot. And that, that realisation, and also having developed that improvisational skill and becoming a forever DM, um, after instead of just playing that one guy who plays really snarky characters. Um, <laughs> uh, but that led me to realise like there's an incredible complementary list between those two skills. If, if, they can, if it can be argued that they're not the same skill, and mm. that can be argued, um, just... Um, but I think if if, it, if the Venn diagram isn't a, isn't just a circle, then it's close to one. Um, because I guess in improv, I rarely have to do maths.
4: Yeah.
3: Um, but um, uh, if uh, I've 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 chased myself away from your question, Jeremy. Which was it? Was your question why comedians? Well, uh, I, it's it was more just
0: it was I was acknowledging the fact that uh, you know what.
3: Yeah, it was Even (laughs) if it wasn't before, it is now Okay, well then the two answers for that are The two answers for that are I realised 10 years ago, I don't know People who aren't funny now Um, Not intentionally But like, I just, I can't Deal with them
2: Um, I don't necessarily mean professionally funny I mean um, Funny with a capital F I guess Mm. Uh, Like
3: yeah, like I just don't spend time on people who aren't because um, it's less entertaining. And so my the roster of pals who were kicking around were a bunch of like, the first Questing Time live show was, ooh, who was in that? Beck Hill, Rachel Paris, David Reed, and a guy called John Henry Fall. who performs as the Story Beast. He's like a young Brian Blessed who talks about the original Dune a lot on stage as part of his act. And the Story Beast is a sort of... Um, Almost Doctor Who-esque, extra-dimensional figure who uh, just exists in and around stories. Um, he's uh, he's a weird act. I like him, mm. um, but it seemed like the logical thing because I wanted to. I wanted to see if I could make D and D entertaining to watch, uh, and accessible to watch. And I figured having comedians do it would be a hook. Because um, again, I was selling a live show. Because ding, mm-hmm. uh, this idiot wasn't didn't ever think for a long time was like the thought never occurred to do this online. Um, and so, um, and, and because all my understanding of the industry was comedy. All my mm-hmm. live event stuff was comedy, or had been for the last like six, seven years.
4: Mm. Uh,
3: so I knew a load of comedians who were fluid of thought and quick to goof. And I was just really thinking, like, this is, that's what my actual, that's what playing in games is like for me. That's what my experience of games has always been like. Even though there have been serious uh, and sometimes very dark uh, beats in games I've played that mainly has been, I think I once described improv as the act of jumping gleefully back and forth across the line that separates genuine human drama and goofing around with your friends <laughs> and trying to make that jump regularly and seamlessly. Mm. I think it's um, a very
0: accurate way of describing uh, the vast majority of TTRPG experiences, at least the good ones, mm-hmm. most of yeah. the good ones, <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, like it, it's because one of the key things is, uh, I think this turns up in questing time. Is I like to maintain the view that what we are doing is ridiculous. The like playing a TTRPG is dumb, mm. <laughs> and I mean that as a compliment. <laughs> like. It's, it's a what a silly thing to do.
4: Yeah.
3: <laughs> I'm in my 40s and I make at least part of my living by pretending and doing silly voices. What an absolute treat. Um, uh, but, but also, how, un, how unabashedly dumb. Um, and I what, what a lovely virtue to the, to the whole experience. Um, and so, yeah, it just seemed like a logical fit for comics mm-hmm. uh, to do that. Not all comedians uh, have, have had one who I. One who just got bored and wandered off during a show. Uh, D&D wasn't for them. In my defense, didn't book them. My producer did and apologized afterwards. And we decided to never work with that person again. But um, yeah. Producer, yeah, you're not allowed it to make like these
1: it... decisions anymore.
3: <laughs> no, no, no. My, 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 my producer is, with that one error, my producer was on the money. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> yeah. And also, my producer also got me Andy Daly. Oh, uh, from one of the Edinburgh shows from Comedy Bang Bang, who was a treat. Um, yeah. Mm. So have you uh, have
0: you found that in transitioning from <coughs> private games to public games, how have you found like your preparation and your approach <coughs> changes <laughs> between running games for a private group versus a public audience? I, well, case gonna, in point, I,
1: so I'm just on, real quick. I'm just going to add on to this what, what thing. Thing that I'm curious about this specifically as well is, as somebody who does improv, do you rely heavily on that idea, or do you enjoy the prep work that goes into it?
3: I should <laughs> rely heavily on. Okay. it.
1: Okay, I thought you were going to say you should I, prep. Heavily. I don't. Don't do that. <laughs> I do. I do enjoy.
3: I do enjoy the prep to a degree. Yeah. Um, they're very different beasts. So what I will tend to do, like I've, I'm doing a private game on Friday for a couple of friends of mine who, um. I uh, know I can tell you about this. Um, I did a show last year called Brassic, <clears throat> which goes out on Sky in the UK. I don't know who carries it in the US, but I believe it is available. Uh, but it's like a little—it's a series. It's like a every week. It's like a crime. There's very low low key heist of the week.
4: Mm-hmm. It's
3: a bunch of northern guys um, doing mild crime in a sort of cheeky scoundrel way. Um, but they're all of them easily distracted in different ways. Um, it's a really good show and I'd strongly recommend it. Uh, season four, episode seven, I believe. All of my lines were cut in the edit. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so um, so I'm, I'm barely there, but I am there. i have got two good sight gags. but um, If you want to see Paul do- almost say a series of things. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm doing a private, just offline game for a couple of the guys from that show on Friday. And my plan for that is um i've made them a couple of pregens and um i've got a very se- i've i've literally threw a little map of a town together and i they they're, they're going to go in and find um oh, they're going to be somebody's they're going to get letters drawing them to the town then all we'll meet and um go and meet their contact who will have either decided either have recently been murdered or recently robbed i think robbed because it's going to be easier to direct them towards the thing if he's able to speak um he's just his corpse
0: is just pointing (laughs) yeah
3: yes um he have written in blood uh four like a four paragraph set of instructions (laughs) which is now i think about it actually a very funny idea but um uh but yeah but then that and then, then it's just get the macguffin from a little dungeon where bandits are hiding out um although i did like might not use bandits because i got my copy of flea mortals from mctm which i contributed to and it's really good and i'm going to use some of the new stuff in that so it might be nulls but um that right like it's i've done the most prep i've done for that is making pregens and like sketching out a couple of flowcharts of what i think will happen where and then i'm i'm generally fairly happy to ad lib things like challenger because the players the, the new players there's no way I can predict what they're going to do, mm-hmm. which is kind of the fun of questing time. Yes. Um, particularly with comedians. Like, that you, I don't know if you guys get Taskmaster, the show out there, but, um, I, I holy don't so. feel Sweet like I've Moses.
1: seen, I've, <clears throat> like I've seen the thumbnail of it, but I've never watched it.
3: So to, to you guys and to your audience, and this is a massive segue, check out a show called Taskmaster. It's a British show where they bring if for every season. They have the same five comedians. Um, and they're in the studio. Uh, that we have the taskmaster Greg and his assistant Alex, whose show this is, but not anymore. And they are simply shown footage on a screen of things they did three months ago in the taskmaster house, where they will arrive one at a time. They'll be given an envelope, which will they'll open it, and it will say something like, "Throw a tea bag into a cup from the furthest distance. You have 30 minutes. Your time starts now." And they will then show who did what to solve the little puzzle with a time constraint of get a teabag into a cup from the furthest distance.
4: Um,
3: Right? Now, one of the guys is just throwing teabags from a distance of around (laughs) 10 feet for 30 minutes to no success. Another one wets the teabag so he can throw them further away. Um, Another one questions the wording because the wording is like, get a teabag into the cup from the furthest distance. So I think ties some string around a teabag over a cup, and then leaves the premises holding the string, <laughs> and then, like, I'm further away. Like and, like, and somebody else just panics and smashes a cup. Um, <laughs> but it's the same principle I use on stage, which is it's interesting to give people who are intelligent, articulate, and mentally um, adept, like comedians' minds kind of have to be. Mm. It's interesting. Give them a challenge, and no clear way to solve it, mm. and a bunch of tools which may or may not help. I, almost every time, they will come up with something fun or engaging or surprising um, or just make a terrible choice. Um, and that's one of the reasons I like with new players. Um, I've answered a question I invented. <laughs> um, but no, so the, the prep for live, prep for pr- actual private games is relatively light. Prep for online games or performative games is um, I massively over... I over-prepare the things I can over-prepare. Uh, and I'm thinking back to, and then you have to ad lib around that. And the example I would think of here is like episode eight of the pod, the live show we did, not live show, the um the stream show we did during lockdown. We started in like the second week of lockdown, thinking it, I thought it would be like six weeks of the show, and it, we did it for two and a half years,
4: mm.
3: roughly once a week in the eighth episode, give or take, the players go under the town into a crypt that they've discovered. They're a dungeon complex that they they never learned it was a crypt. Um, And I plotted this out and there's a mind-affecting thing, so they're picking up random phobias every couple of rooms if they flub a wisdom save. And um, the crypt was... Oh, God. Bad guys were like four undead, but they had elemental themes. And this is the air one. And the crypt is... Powered in part by, there's like a little portal, uh, a little sphere of a portal to the elemental plane of air in, um, hidden behind some kind of housing in one of the rooms. The players find this room, break open the housing, and I describe to them what they're seeing, which is a mote of light with a strong wind blowing out of it in all directions um, about the size of uh, an orange. And um, none of them get their um, arcana roll to work out what this is. And one of them goes, um, it's hovering, is it? And I said, yeah, I don't want to touch it. I'll just scoop the bag of holding around it. (laughs) And I give them a couple of chances to not do that. And they do it anyway. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, we have to stop the show now because I have to go and read three books. (laughs) And they wind up trapped on the plane of air for like four months. Nice. Well, air, then, oh God, air, Avernus, then a couple of other places. And then, Sigil for a bit, mm. um, and um, yeah, but like I had at no point did I intend for that game to go into playner <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, but it did, and yeah, like so like half of that show is heavily improvised, and also because my players just make. I love him to pieces. My buddy Richard, for two and a half years, thought advantage meant roll two dice and keep the second one. Oh, Richard, <laughs> buddy, nice he's big. the nicest. He's the nicest, loveliest man. <laughs> who uh, no? This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with.
0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Point ever went, and ah, this mechanic shit. Yeah. Like <laughs> <laughs> So I'm, I'm getting the impression then, uh, well... I already knew this, but uh, for those of us who, for those who have not, are not familiar with Quest Time, uh, is it fair to say then that rules-wise, you lean a lot more towards, in terms of like D&D podcasts, certainly, you lean a lot more towards the rules-light side of things, in terms of how, not that it's like rules don't matter, but it's a little bit hmm. looser, emphasis is more on the story and the comedy and, the, and that sort of thing, rather than uh, trying to execute the rules at a particularly like, deep level or whatever.
3: Yes. I think that's fair. There's still, there still has to be some crunch there. There still has to be some rules there, or we're just doing improv, and we don't need the D&D mechanics. Um, <clears throat> so we keep a lot of the stuff there. Um, I like We have a couple of little house rules. Like I think everybody uses inspiration as a reroll now. I don't think anybody is still going I, I use it before I mm-hmm. make the yeah, roll, because yeah. mm-hmm. uh, it's just not as good a mechanic um i've recently i don't think we've done it in the show yet but i've recently um stolen um brennan's is it the emphasis roll oh yeah from worlds beyond number i think yeah i really like that mm-hmm. um which is for those of you not aware uh you roll two dice and you keep the num you keep the result that is furthest away from 10
4: <laughs> um
3: so whatever happens it's a bigger deal yeah mm-hmm. um and i like that a lot as a mechanic um there's, I'm trying to think. Like, I don't know. There's, there's a couple of things that tend to change, and one of the one of the features of doing the live show in uh, fringe theatre environments where you have, you know, an hour, actually fifty five minutes to do a comedy show that feels like a D and D adventure has taken place, and the easiest way to do that is to have a D and D adventure take place, but um, like it, for the audience, it can't just be
2: some characters talk about their feelings for an hour, because while that's a perfectly legitimate. D&D game Um, it's not what the audience is coming and expecting so I I use a fairly I have a loose show model worked out for like
3: making sure we tick a few boxes Mm. usually a kind of like quick everyone there's an early doors scuffle which isn't that challenging a puzzle or a riddle or something or actually my favourite thing is an obstacle Um, just like a bridge is out and your third level characters what do you do
2: um
3: just to see what people are going to do to solve that mm, yes. maybe a bit of investigation maybe a bit of um stealthing or chatting with npcs and then uh a, for what a better terminology a boss fight mm. and then we're out and in live shows boy do i roll a lot of ones or 20s in the last five minutes because <laughs> <clears throat> um, i just i just round up because mm. the show has the show has to finish in five minutes and mm-hmm. I've had shows where like people are just like whiffing, whiff it like two rounds where the players and the NPCs are all whiffing their um, uh, attack rolls, and I'm like, well, nothing <laughs> happened, and it cost me ten minutes. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, that's so. In situations like that, <clears throat> I just go, okay, fine, then we, we are turning everything goes extreme like it's it's crits or fails now you're just flipping a coin go mm. um it's where uh, the
0: show it, you have to acknowledge that ultimately you're making a show not yeah. just playing a game
3: yeah and i think i don't know if this happened in one of the live shows you did uh where you were. i have lost the name of your awful doctor character who oh yeah dr. A, a load of dr. thrombosis yes <laughs> dr thrombosis um <laughs> Uh but I, I really remember I can't remember what it was you'd pitched. Uh but I think if memory serves, you were dealing with a Zeppelin or something? It was like an airship.
0: No, we were on a we were on a tower. It was uh we were fighting the evil forces of Jamie Sunstone and his oh, yes. his uh Phoenix. His legally
3: distinct girlfriend.
0: Yes.
4: Uh,
3: uh Phoenix Saturday or something. <laughs> yeah. Um yes uh but i remember i can't remember what it was you were trying to do but i remember kind of going you're going can i try this and i'm like yeah look at the time let's go <laughs> 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 like, you can try like go for yeah, it yeah yeah um, that was it's the one where he somebody a
0: potion of horse uh i think that yes, was the yes. potion of horse it's basically uh it's a potion that when you pour it out it's a horse and we yes. we fed it to somebody and they they were not long for this world. Oh, yeah. They burst.
3: Yes. Uh, and you traumatized a horse <laughs> yeah. um, and everybody else. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think I had a bunch of stupid magic items. This is a thing I well, you know, my penchant for writing stupid magic items from our time at um at the castle the castle of things. Yes. Um and We met at um, D&D in a castle, by the way. We did. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering. Yeah. Um yeah, because I'm wor- I worked there at the time. Yeah. Um but um uh yeah, but I've I they're now a thing like the last like couple of months I've just been writing writing them up all nice and putting them up on the on the Questing Time Patreon. Um and you've inspired me. I'm gonna write I haven't done the potion of horse yet. I'm gonna put that up as a as a. will do that later this evening. It's um, an excellent item. It's very stupid. But they one of the I put up the unstoppable rod. Yes. Um this week. That's yes. a- uh, Yeah.
1: That's such a fun item to mess around with. I got to play in a game and we got to pick one uh, common magical item and I picked that and I used it to prevent a purple worm from advancing on the party by jumping into its mouth and shoving it between its teeth and clicking the button. Nice.
3: Ah, yeah, that's an immovable rod. The sensible one. I wrote an item called the unstoppable rod, which mm. is the logical inverse of that, where you press the button and it just immediately travels a, a thousand <laughs> miles an hour in a direction and cannot be stopped unless you press the button again. Good luck with that. Yeah. That's um, awesome. Yeah, I... Oh, God. So I and in a castle, I used to hide... I'd, I'd write magic item scrolls up and hide them around
2: the castle. Or, or like um, re-rolls or things like that, or curses. And um, somebody got the Unstoppable Rod in um, Elisa
3: Teague's campaign. (laughs) At dinner, she just comes like, "Why? What's happening? Why are you like this?" Yeah, I feel like
0: the I feel like the Unstoppable Rod also would have stopped the uh, the Purple Worm by simply tearing right through it. Yes, Uh, or dragging it with it. Yeah, or that. Yeah, the Purple Worm is just dragged away. Yeah.
1: Um, you have to decide some, some pliability of your body there, and, which is an <laughs> awful discussion to have. <laughs> yes! <laughs>
3: How firm are its innards? <laughs> <Yeah>. uh. <laughs>
0: Genu-
3: genuinely, as I was writing the stats for it the other day, I recalled the conversation from the old Vampire LARP times, where um, someone, I remember sitting... Again, one of those people who you get in role-playing scenarios who sat down and tried to work out, if you fired a surface to a missile at a vampire, it wouldn't do a lot of damage because it would just rip through them unless they had a certain amount of fortitude, at which point then it would really hurt them (laughs) because it would be triggered by them hitting them. And I was like, I don't need to be part of this discussion, Simon. Um,
0: (laughs) Simon, stop.
3: uh,
0: Yeah, quit it, Simon. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Paul, Uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, because we're uh, moving towards a conclusion. I wanted to ask you. Disagree. uh, Over the, well, well, you can agree (laughs) to disagree. How we over the course of this conversation, we have talked about uh, a number of like, f- for example, in the history of improv. I think a lot of people don't know how much uh, women, for example, f- factor into the history of improv. Y- the whole reason you got into doing d and live is because your performance part for a performing partner who is a woman asked you to go into it. This is a ham fisted uh, segue. You, Paul, are in fact yes. a white cis man. And this is a podcast. I- that how. Hey. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And this is a podcast about diversity and inclusivity. And I wanted to ask. Yeah, you, I'm
3: amazed you haven't had me on before.
0: <laughs> yes, shocking, um, truly shocking. Yeah. Uh, Paul, how do you as a white cis man uh, approach inclusivity and diversity in your work uh, from both a production standpoint and a content standpoint?
3: Uh, that's interesting. Well, from the perspective of, as you said, like a white cis het man in his 40s. Uh, who's aggressively liberal, uh, with some, with like a weird degree of positivity and anxiety, um, and the anxiety is just like, oh no, what if I do it wrong? Mm. Um, I don't want to do harm. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh. But what I've discovered is, um, mostly it's tricky. Wrong word. It's difficult to do harm by mistake in a way that you can't be like, oh, that's harmful. I'm sorry. I'll change it. Yeah. Um. Uh, the best example of that I can think of of late is um, uh, a buddy of mine has um, Oh, actually, weirdly I'm not 100% sure of the terminology. A friend of mine is now non-binary.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and they're, they're, non-binary. they're Yeah, they're they-them. I was going to say his transition to non-binary, but I'm not sure that's the right vernacular. Oh, yeah, <laughs> um, But my point is they're non-binary <laughs> now. And um, uh, the, 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 the old, old fucking ancient Foxcrafts muscle memory keeps misgendering them briefly and they go damn it sorry they um and they but which in um when referring to them Mm -hmm. uh off away from their presence rather um it's weirdly easier to have it in my head when they're around but like Mm -hmm. the other week we hung out for a coffee and i uh, i hit them with the wrong gender went and they went they just went oh i'm 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 didn't even i'm so sorry didn't even notice sorry i'll more on it but like it wasn't the minefield when i do it on my own in the house in my head i panic more um Mm. but i think that's down to the anxiety is always worse than the actual event um in terms of a
2: production standpoint um there's a one of the problems i run into there is uh improv is in the uk really white
3: mm. um i ran an improv school before the plague and uh, these numbers are fuzzy i don't have them in front of me but like i seem to vaguely recall we had we we did well on a couple of fronts we had a roughly 60 40 split in favor of female presenting uh students mm-hmm. um we had around 30 35% lgbtq plus Uh, Folks, which is higher than the national average, but broadly what you'd expect in a media environment. Um,
2: Because the numbers skew differently. And in the course of a year in which we'd run, I don't know, uh, just doing maths in my head, like 20, 24 classes, like terms of classes, Mm
3: -hmm. we would have maybe 10 to 12 people of color, which skewed at something like, one to two percent of her income mm. uh intake not income and uh, like i was like i don't know how to fix this necessarily i offered scholarship programs for uh people of color to, to basically to try improv um to see if it was for them um we tried
2: to diversify up our marketing a bit um which i think helped more than anything else Mm. I think people of color seeing
3: a picture of people of color enjoying themselves in that space, I think opened the door for people to go, oh, that's a space we're allowed into. I think speaking as an
0: American... For most Americans, our experience with improv comedy, if we are not actually involved in the performing arts, is probably the American version of Whose Line Is It Anyway? Mm -hmm. And therefore, Wayne Brady is probably one of the only black people or people of color in general that most Americans have seen doing improv. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah.
0: Uh, at least in like a very clearly improv context, like Donald Glover did Second City, or not Second City, rather he did. Um, was he UCB? Yeah, he was UCB. Uh, yep. And I think a lot of like I think Aziz may have been UCB as well. Aziz Ansari. Like I think a yep. lot of those people. Uh, Aubrey Plaza, who I'm not actually sure if she's white, um, <laughs> did did uh, she's
1: a good tan. She's got a good tan. Yeah,
3: yeah. I was about to I was about to say. Uh, she's. Uh, I don't know the right word here. I was going to say, Hispa- is the word Hispanic or Latin? Latin-, uh, Latin- Latina. Latina? Yeah. yeah, Latina. Like, I don't know which of those is <laughs> the most right. Um, <laughs> Latina seems it to be the to most right, me, at
1: least in the U.S.
3: Okay. Um, but I was also like, as I was about to say that, I was like, or oh, she may just speak Spanish. Mm. I don't know her ethnicity. Yeah, uh,
0: her her. Gr- I'm looking at it right now. Her grandfather is Puerto Rican. Okay. Um, but her mother is of Irish and English descent, so it sounds like she's mixed race.
2: Yeah.
0: <clears throat> so, but yeah, um, that was thing.
1: well. It was oh, one Navar of those were things. You, was, sorry, Navarre, you going to say something? I was going to, but yeah, I, I, you can continue, Paul, and I can
3: ask you after you're done. Sure thing. Well, this is one of the things I was trying to approach and work out strategies to expand upon with improv stuff, uh, and then this, then we we had a plague, and I had to close that business. Um, but it was like we had literally on. Um, I think it was, I, I, it, was I, it was the first week of April of 2020 I had a meeting booked in with like the heads of the five families <laughs> like um, the couple of the other guys who ran, all dudes couple of the other guys, all white men
2: who ran um, other improv concerns in London to have a chat about what we could all do to
3: make more diversity in the improv space a, a more achievable goal and that meeting never happened because uh i had to close their business and um i won't lie i was pretty sour about that for a while um <laughs> general context right like you,
1: your your um, show started so long ago back in 2016 and i think like at the time it yeah. was um if you look at the shows that started early on like a lot of the major shows Having a cast that was all white was sort of the status quo. That doesn't mean that it's mm. right. To be clear, but I think like there is a level of forgiveness that folks seem to have for a Critical Role, NAD Pod, uh, Adventure Zone, etc. Up to a certain point of of you existed at a time when you were gathering people together that you wanted to play with before there was like we could just reach everybody online um, to that end. I think now if a show anytime I see a show start and they do any sort of uh, promotion on Twitter, and it started, let's say it started today, and the cast was all white, it would immediately get a lot of pushback uh, online. Mm. I think, in some ways, rightly so, in other ways, um, you can play with whoever you want to play with. But I think theres it's important to understand if you're putting something out there, a product out there, that is me and these other performers, to whatever degree we are performers, you have to expect that the public is going to have an opinion about the way that it's presented. All that to say, mm-hmm. yes. um, you started out in a time when this was, even though it is a concern, as you talked about, like it, it's, it was something that was easier to sort of, I don't want to say like get away with in a disparaging way. I'm not trying to disparage you, but you, you know, it's something that could, would just go without a lot of discussion. And so like yeah. now we're in 2023, you have access in a way that you can do streamed shows. Like, is that something that you think about when you're putting together the next show or the next
4: set yeah. of
3: guests and things like that? It is. And it's, a, it's something, it's a genuine regret. I have about the two and a half year long show we did. Mm-hmm. Cause I never imagined that would be more than a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, and that show was cast because it was my, uh, two really good friends of mine who I would do the live show with anyway. The two regulars would be my buddies, Rich and Bryony. Um, Matt was a guy I'd wanted to do something with for a while. And then uh, I wish this was a different story. Uh, our friend Rufus Hound, friend now, who I just was a man I'd met at somebody else's wedding. And he texted me and said, basically, are you doing a Dungeons and Dragons thing online? All my shows got cancelled. He was a stage actor. Mm. All my shows got cancelled. So I now have the time. If you don't let me do it, I'll... I'll come round to your house and kick off. <laughs> um, I know where you live. And so I was like, okay, well, that's four people. That's fine. And I figured we'll do this for a bit and see how it goes and then change up the cast in a while. And that never happened because it became a psychological fucking crutch for all of us. Mm-hmm. And the idea of changing this around by telling them, like, no more treats for you, mm-hmm. no more No more fun playtime for you became, that wasn't a thought that could enter my head. Yeah, yeah. And then I realised, um, we did a couple. Of, we did a fundraiser show for, um, uh, oh god, uh, the Bale Foundation, mm. uh, in the wake of the BLM protests, um, and um, uh, it was around that time I was like, "Oh fuck, this show's really white." <laughs> oh, i don't fuck this up, um, and so it's been a goal since then. Whenever I'm putting a new thing together, uh, where possible to book at least one person of colour for the cast. Ideally more. Uh, and ideally more than one woman. But my cast is like three or four people. I don't have a lot of picks.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And, um, but I'm, I'm, again, going back to Taskmaster, um, there was an interesting observation made by a British comic and actress called Sally Phillips. Uh, Taskmaster always was um, guaranteed, for the first couple of series, guaranteed three white male comedians. And then probably a woman and probably a person of colour but sometimes they're the same Mm. Uh, and it's four white guys and a woman of Mm. colour and then the production team changed a little bit and that changed and season five I think they had Ashlyn B and Sally Phillips on and Sally said in an an interview um, um, I'm trying to think of what else That season is Sally Phillips, Ashlyn B, Nish Kumar, Mark Watson, and Bob Mortimer, who's one of the funniest people on the face of the earth. Um, No shades to anybody else on this list who are also very funny, but Bob Mortimer just hits me particularly hard. But Sally had said, it's interesting. I've often been the only woman on a panel show. Uh, The second there's another woman there, suddenly you don't represent all women, Mm. and you're just a a person. Um, And since then, they've really got in. the, 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 The cast since then have had a real brilliant approach to diversity. Um, I don't have their money. Um, would that I did. But um, it's been an attempt, and not always a successful attempt, because my deadlines are, there's a show on this date. I have to find some people who can do the show. Um, and, uh, But I think
2: we the live shows we did post-COVID, I think we had... Oh, God, it occurs to me, I don't know. I think we hit the goal of having at least
3: two people in the show who who weren't white men which is a low fucking bar, uh, when I say it in those terms. Um, but often we'd supersede that and have maybe, maybe just me and another white man. But this is, weirdly, I have this one of the least, my least favourite things about the show is I am the host of the show mm. and actively a detriment to any attempt I make to make the show more diverse. I am the least useful person in this metric in my show. Yeah. If only there was a way for me to do it without physically being there.
4: <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, uh, so but- I, I'm just going to say this here because I think, I think one, it'll be good for you to hear, but I also think it's good for other people to hear too, in the sense mm-hmm. that, like, I, I, so for those who don't know, I have a show called the secret Nerd podcast. I, I basically interview people, um, mainly from ma- marginalized backgrounds and we discuss, uh, their experiences in TTRPG space. One of the things that I found when it comes to performers who be, who are invited to other shows, often many performers who are people of color will ask, are there any other people of color going to be on the show? If that answer mm. is no, then most often than not, they're going to say no. If, if, if sometimes it's if there's not even half of the cast is um at least right then then it's also a no and so i think like mm. again i don't i'm not this is not me piling on you it's just we're having this conversation i think it's important for mm. people to hear when you're looking at like how do we make that change i think it's important to know that it's 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 going to be at minimum two and maybe more to get to have people even feel like they have a safe place to be on your show in the first place. And I think that that's like, yep. that, I cannot state that enough for anybody who's doing any sort of casting. Like people wanna feel safe, especially now and when, when the teacher RPG space has expanded so much into this online space and everybody's doing streams. And there's while there's not a ton of it, there is sometimes money to be made. It's so important to be upfront with how a show is going to be produced and for people of color and other marginalized backgrounds to understand If I walk into your production, will I feel safe there? Um, One of those things is going to be more often than not, how diverse is the production?
0: Yeah, I think in my experience, obviously with with being three black halflings, we already have in terms of racial diversity i think there's already an assumption by people of uh, marginalized races that they would be like oh yes okay sure yes it's other people of color good but um i because i end up gming the majority of the the ap's we put out i have to be very conscious of the fact that uh if it's if we are saying that all three halflings are going to be in it, two of those people are cis straight men. And so I then have to be like, oh, okay, well lives here. Good. But I need to make sure I go out of my way to get at like as much of the rest of the cast mm-hmm. to not be into our, uh, in our, a cis man, uh, as possible. And yep. I, I definitely, yeah, it's, it's something that at least for me, it, it has to be intentional. I have to make sure, and like Navarre is saying, not just like, because I think the what ends up happening is there's a fear of a lack of safety and also uh, a fear of tokenism. Like yeah, a person's yeah. like, oh, so you're just grabbing me to fill a box, right? Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, no, I'm, I'm not just trying to fill a box. I'm actually trying to help bring about a seed change because uh, I recognize, like, like you're saying, Paul, you recognize, oh no, this when it comes to comedy, ve- especially improv comedy, very white, yep. and comedy really as a whole, very white and very male. Uh, mm. And when it comes to d d like Navarro was pointing out, uh, the older shows, but even just like if you look at the most famous GMs mm-hmm. in the entire industry, regardless of system, you're you, you basically have a bunch of white dudes and a uh, and I feel like yeah. <laughs> Abria kind of got the Zendaya treatment where it was like, she was, she became a prominent black woman and they were like, oh, let's use her as a, as the black woman in everything now. Um, and I'll be, she does deserve in it there. to be clear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, Bria is yeah, great, right. but like, but it does yeah, seem yes. as though that yes. is how people thought of her. <laughs> That it's like, oh, yes, well, we have a Bria now. Good. Uh, and they sort of slided her in. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I like you're saying, Paul, I think it is you're trying to address an overall trend and issue. And I think what Navar is pointing out is, yeah, it is one of those things. It's like sometimes I haven't been able to have people that I've wanted on shows because mm-hmm. I'm like, well. I have to choose what my priority is, uh and I cannot speak for you because we're pulling from different groups really like i'm not pulling i know very few comedians really other than you uh mm. and so but I think yeah, that is I'm curious to know what your experience i guess in that regard is when it comes to uh, choosing like uh more accurately, more- cu- more clearly uh your experience is when like are there, uh, are there a number of, I guess, comedians uh, of color uh, or of various marginalized backgrounds that you are, are able to put into things? Like, is that something that you have found and have, have you been able to develop, I guess, ongoing relationships with a number of those people?
3: Uh, oh, that, that coda really changes my answer to this question. <laughs> uh, the, answer, the answer is um, it varies depending on what the framework of the show is. Um, So if I look at the the halcyon days of the Edinburgh Festival 2019, uh, that was great because there's just a whole bunch of comics there doing their thing. And my show was on pretty late, so most of the comics who I was interested in working with were, um, what's the word I'm looking for, Uh, sort of finished with their working day by the time we went up and what was great about that was uh, any comedians who I asked to do the show it's like, yeah, it's like a 10 minute walk from the thing you were doing and you have like an hour between this and the thing you just did and this thing and it's a goofy, you don't have to prep anything hour long show and there's comedians there from all over the world doing their thing just there to hang out, make connections have a fun time, do their show Um, and that was great Because it meant not only were there existing comedians who I did have relationships with, but there were new folks from all over the globe. And I think we did a pretty good job of not, Well, also, also genuinely fucked it on at least one night uh, between me and the producer where we accidentally booked a cast of all white men uh, because we hadn't communicated. Very well about who was being booked for what. And I remember walking out on stage and just going, Hi, the show, the Edinburgh show, because it's only an hour, I only have three guests. Uh, walking on stage and going, Good evening, everyone. Um, full disclosure, uh, fuck this up. Um, it, 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 it's, it's all white guys tonight, it's all white men. I did not mean that. Uh, but I can guarantee you, none of the rest of the shows will be. So if you come again, I guarantee you a much, more different, a very different panel. This, however, uh, through a combination of one cancellation and me not reading an email, um, yeah, I, 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 I fucked this up. Um, and yeah, we had a much better odds with that. The rest of the run, London, the shows are a slightly different concern because there's, one, I'm pulling from a smaller pool, and. Um, the uh, how do I put it it's a bigger ask as well the London shows run to two and a half, three hours um, and I find it a little more difficult to get how do I put it, um, but it Edinburgh, it's easier to get bigger names uh, because they're there and they, they're just what are they going to do with their evening Just uh, are they going to have a drink and go home or they can come and do another show mm-hmm. that's easier London, they've got stuff going on their house is there they've got Kids, or whatever they have in their lives. I don't know what people do with their spare time. Um, but it's a harder pull to get the bigger names and a harder pull to have much more of a choice with the names I have in London. Um, or at least it was. Um, and then, but like you said, the ongoing relationship thing is good. Uh, there's a bunch of folks. One of my favourites who's ever done the show was a comic called Ahir Shah, um, who's a brilliant political commentator, but who played DD for his first time on stage with me. Uh, and then gate crashed my show on at least one occasion, bursting through the upstage doors during the show, screaming, "I am the bad boy of Dungeons and Dragons," while dressed as Tupac. <laughs> um, and that was weird, but uh, enjoyable. Um, and we've had our here back on the show a couple of times, but like, it's just one of like. There's a prospect where it's like my show isn't worth doing for some folks because their careers are too big now, mm. um, and also the fact that we had a plague, and I haven't really been back on the circuit mm. since. So there's a lot of relationships that I think have atrophied. Um, it's a thing i It's weirdly. It's it's pressing. This is a conversation, of, not a conversation, a question I've been asking myself in
2: the next in the last couple of weeks because I'm trying to work back up to doing live shows again. Um, it's one I don't have a great solution for yet.
3: Uh, my plan is to my plan is to get back out on the circuit and see who's see who's around now.
2: Then it was hopefully, I assume, a new crop of comics from hopefully a wide array of backgrounds on mm. the circuit right now, and the plan is see who seems cool and
3: ask them if they're interested in doing the show. And by cool, I mean, how do I put this? You'll know this from performing. There's some people you're like, yeah, you'll, do, you'll have A, fun, and B, be fun mm-hmm. playing D&D on stage with a bunch of strangers. Yeah, And there's, there's other people I know who are like, you will be very stressed in this environment <laughs> yeah. mm. it's not that you're not funny yeah but you won't like this and or you might be bad for other people so that's not a good <laughs> idea that's that's a, it's a good i it's not a, it's not like i don't have that consideration it's more that i have at some point filtered out those people yeah. from the group i knew but <laughs> they're entirely even make it correct to the <laughs> they oh no i can think of at least one person who i'm not going to name mm. but um who would be an absolutely terrible get for the show yeah but um there's a reason they do a solo act um yeah it's not a problem i've solved yet yeah. um also i i might not be able to solve uh, systemic issues on my own. What a, what a tremendously arrogant white man thing to have said. Well, ah, it's, but yeah, you can solve
0: um, it, the the best you can do really <clears throat> is is what you have control over. Yeah, uh, yeah and it's and I will say, as somebody who has been on a couple of live shows with Questing Time, I know Jasper has done at least one live show with Questing Time, uh, yeah. and also I know Jess uh has had me on uh for a a number of uh one shots uh, like yeah. underneath the the questing time banner um it does i mean i could commend you for what i have seen because i think like the fact that you're bringing us on uh the fact that uh in in a number of the one shots that i was in i was not the only person of color uh i i took as a very positive sign so yeah
2: well like i said it's it that's that's the goal um I'm not – I don't always hit the goal, mm. um, which annoys me because of – not least of which,
3: that, that's what goals are, uh, but also because of my particular brand of psychological issues. Um, I don't like letting people down. Mm. And um, – oh, no, this is very rapidly going to be therapy. Sorry, <laughs> let me just steer – let me steer away from a conversation I had with my therapist yesterday, which is this is, this is alarmingly too similar for and not for broadcast. Um, hey, team, the audience, Um think about therapy if you're having a time I'd, <laughs> I'd strongly recommend it um it's not easy but it is good mm-hmm. which i guess is what also applies to this um to trying to yep. consistently book mm-hmm. uh consistently book people uh, a diverse cast for a show mm-hmm. that are also tick the box of being entertaining and good at show mm-hmm. from a pool of people that isn't Huge to begin with. Because yeah. it's not... It occurs to me, I'm not booking from London, the London comedy scene. I'm booking from the London comedy scene that I know enough to phone mm. broadly. Or like friend of a friend. Mm. And also, I want to pick up a thing you said, Jeremy, which is like, I, we've had you on the show. Yeah, because you guys are really entertaining. Yes. Um, well, thank you. Because like, you give good show <laughs> is the main reason. <laughs> um, and also because like I can speak for Jess here, but if like the prospect is like, oh, hey, we're going to play a thing with Jeremy, then... Or, or Jasper or Live, for that matter mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, then our approach to that is like oh great mm-hmm. <laughs> they're fun yeah um, and we don't have to do it in the voice of James Acaster <laughs> like I just did but I like to think that's what he would say <laughs> if we'd offered this James dedicated uh, listener of the podcast <clears throat> <clears throat> yeah the big big fan of the show James Acaster there um, do, you, do if you haven't the audience do check out his show Off Menu it's very good mm. <clears throat> but um yeah, it's I don't know. It's a it's it's an ongoing vexation. Yeah. I did. I have had conversations with um, organisations where I've done some stuff for. Um, oh man, this might get tricky with NDAs. Uh, I've had. Let me let me with get redacted. real vague. <laughs>
0: you
3: yeah. you've had um, conversations
0: with redacted
3: about I redacted. Have, but I've had co- a number of conversations with organisations I've worked for. Uh, or worked with, with, I should say, um, where the proposal has been. Hey, how about we get these guys? And I'm like, I'm like, we we have to. We, like, what a lovely list of people. We absolutely have to bring in at least like some women and people of color. I I like all of these white men. They're nice, <laughs> but. That's not the metric. Like that's not the bar yeah.
4: mm-hmm.
3: is that we should be reaching for. And on uh, on one occasion, I talked, myself out a, I talked myself out of a four grand job <laughs> as a performer. <laughs> oh fuck! I just remembered this. Um, I did. I said to the producers, like, "Hey, look, you've 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 brought me in. You've already got like a gaggle of white guys, and you're talking about hiring in uh, another white person. Don't." like you should have women and people of color in this show and they were like oh and I was like yeah like i'm not i really don't want to do this project if like well, let me rephrase because i'm stuck between two things here which is my ideals mm-hmm. and i have to pay money to live mm-hmm. and i said like i'd be more comfortable if we had some more people of color and women in this show and they came back to me and said uh cool uh we're going to replace you <laughs> and i was like a, a win <laughs> i am happy about this but it's also four thousand pounds i'm not gonna make Mm -hmm. um and a show i'm not in um i've done that now i think about it three times in different ways um and you know what i'll probably do it again um this time next time i'll do it after i've signed a contract um so they can't they have to pay me if they want to not use me but um Mm -hmm. yeah i
2: did oh god i did a casting for um I shouldn't tell you the brand. I did a casting for a commercial, um, four years ago, five years ago. And, uh, the, the the bit was, um, I was the
3: manifestation of an irritating, uh, problem that turns up. Right. So I'm like, I'm like, I'm, I'm like the, the, uh, I can't think of a good example. I'm like I'm like uh, like, like the awkward. series of
0: commercials Mayhem the uh, I don't know if those made it over to the pond <laughs> but in it's America a, a, there's American like
1: US uh, insurance commercials.
0: Yeah, right? basically yeah. a guy but, oh, acts as the personification of mayhem that may happen to like your vehicle or your home. Yeah.
3: So like yeah, and in this case it's like I'm like and this none of these are the product but like I'm like I'm I am hi it's me the blockage in your sick mm-hmm. or hi it's me awkwardly splitting the bill. Or, hi, it's me, like, trying to get past somebody in a corridor. Mm -hmm. Um, That was the bit. And I got a callback for it, and I'm in the room with two other actors and um, the, ex- the company execs, the production company, the advertising guys, the writers of the commercial, and they're like, can we try it? Because they know I'm an improviser. I often get asked to, like, could you all come up with any ideas you have? And I was like, sure, let's try this. Can we do it one more time? And I was like, yeah. And I was improvising and I just went, is it weird that the lady doesn't have any lines? <laughs> what do you, what do you, you shut up. I'm going to be quiet. What do you think about dinner? And, um... <laughs> uh that sparked a conversation and i got uh, recast uh, the character <laughs> was recast as the lady i was pointing to um so uh my agent has been like it's good that you have these principles have them after the contract um so <laughs> like yeah
0: that's well, yeah, I mean, I'm, there are worse. Uh, there are much, much worse reasons uh, to lose a job. I will say, yeah, um, there are.
3: But I also like I, it's. I it's weird because I have. I can keep a rolling tally of how much my liberalism has physically <laughs> cost me, because um, there are prices attached to these jobs. Mm-hmm. But um, it's yeah. I'll. Do, I've done it before. I'll do it again. I just hope I'll do it in a way that is slightly less detrimental to me and better for the people who. It's not even like I'm trying to help specific people. Mm-hmm. It's yeah like, just like. yeah i mean look uh having principles
0: uh can sometimes get in the way of uh of other opportunities i think mm-hmm. anyone who has look it it any who's working in any kind of industry uh hmm. where you where those kinds of things come up it really like i think especially in the entertainment industry, having principles really can impact your bottom line. i know yeah. for us uh with three b h in the process of sort of shifting away from focusing as much as on D and D there. And it's like, especially for actual play uh, we do expect to potentially take a little bit of a, a hit in terms of listenership to some of those stuff. Uh, yep. But ultimately it's, you it's like I said earlier you have to it's about picking priorities being like okay well what is more important the whether or not a certain number of people listen to this particular thing that we produced or whether we're helping to potentially shift the overall conversation about the TTRPG industry away from the the uh, the dominance the monopoly that D&D has uh, yeah. the way D&D has like kleenexed the industry in much the same way that Kleenex Kleenex has co- has conquered uh, tissues
3: uh yeah, that's it. I use Hoover in the same example, <laughs> exactly. But, yeah, in the UK. Um, yeah,
0: instead of a vacuum yeah. cleaner. Um, but Paul, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa! Do you not have Hoover in the U.S.? No, we have them. We just don't. Okay. We just don't call them that. We just buy sharks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I wanted to uh, as we're wrapping this up, Paul. We have a yep. we have a tradition here at the Black Halflings. Yeah, which is uh, every guest must give us a tale from the table this is a story that can be epic it can be sad it can be funny it can be grand uh it can be tense uh there is just it has to have provoked uh some kind of serious emotion or something that is incredibly memorable an experience that you have had playing ttrpgs
3: hmm. oh playing
0: or running or i count
3: that- i count running as playing in uh for the purpose okay. of this Okay.
2: Um two spring to mind. Um one was uh the <laughs> uh I played in a fairly long, like
3: three or four year long three point five edition game of Ravenloft. Mm-hmm. uh up north with a DM by the name of Tony, who was really good, and I learned a lot about DMing from him. Um and and therefore, by learning about women, like I guess I learned a lot about story structure and pacing and just narrative in general, but I hadn't recognized that was what I was learning until um, years and years later. But um, I remember we were, it was 3.5, so it was, a, it was the White Wolf produced Domains of Dread set up for Ravenloft with the different uh, dark domains.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And we had, we'd wound up in, I can't remember which one it was, there's one that has a lot of mind flares. I think it might be Bluet Spur. Which I've never known if I'm pronouncing that correctly. It's all made. Uh, up. As with a lot of yeah. <laughs> as with a lot of words in, in the D and the D. Case in point, can I just just sidebar? Sigil. Yeah. It's it weaken sigil! <laughs> it, sigil sounds stupid. Um, I don't even know what you're talking about it, when you said it the first time.
0: Yeah. I knew exactly uh, what the, you were talking about because I've heard of I've read sigil and seen the arguments that have erupted online about how to pronounce yeah. that word.
3: Yeah. Hmm. It's I um, but, um, because that would make it Jif anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, now that's a different argument. <laughs> d- yeah. But, but it's the same argument, but from different perspectives. Anyway, um, uh, we had gone through an absolutely, absolute beasting of a fight, a series of fights. We'd been, two of the guys have been kidnapped by and, and like mind flayers and been like, had their thoughts eaten, like sort of drained out of them. Uh, we 'd gone through the ringer, like everyone had gone through like real hard yards of stuff, and we 'd wound up getting out with a big
2: old bag of random loot um, from um, these mind flayers, basically basically snatching people up, um, sort of extracting their thoughts, storing them, and then
3: devouring their bodies and just had loads of stuff they didn't really need. And a lot of it was cool magic items. So we, we, somebody, like we, some, one of the guys, we got into this room, somebody had hit detect magic, and then this guy just grabbed anything that glowed and slung it in a bag of holding. And then we got out, we got somewhere safe, and upended the bag on a table. Now, the rest of the players, the other four players, uh, all got into quite a heated argument about one of these magic items. It was a ring of some kind. It's quite a powerful ring. I don't remember what it was, because it was the least relevant thing of all time. But they were in an intense argument about it, My character did not have a horse in this race. And so I was just sort of stepping back. And I did the mime I would often do with my character to signify that he was not getting involved in this particular discussion, which was I would mime lighting a cigarette. I caught the DM's eye. We made eye contact for three or four seconds. Uh, And I, I again, miming a cigarette, I just went, sort of took a drag of the cigarette looked down at a non-existent imaginary pile of treasure and just mimed with the DM, reaching to the pile of treasure, picking one up and putting it under my jacket. And the DM looked at the rest of the players and went, yep, (laughs) nodded. And I did this for five minutes, just (laughs) picking up bits of treasure. um, And the DM just quietly, silently, they're in the room, they can see me, um, handed me a list and i was like oh okay <laughs> um, i just went through and picked like eight really cool things out of the list of like 20 things um and then when the players attention came back to the table uh i just what was it it would have been bluff at that time uh made a secret bluff roll with the dm uh which was like guys we should we should really split this stuff um and then um and then negotiated hard for a fair share <laughs> um and I just remember that one moment of like, I can't believe I'm getting away with this. And also going, I can't believe I'm doing this. This is not like me. But then also went, oh, it is like my character. He's kind of a piece of shit uh,
4: in this regard.
3: And in two or three others. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think that, I think it was just like the thrill of larceny in actual, like actual real, real larceny with imaginary things. Yeah. I, that stayed with me. And I think working out way, that inspired me. within questing time to find ways of doing stuff one of the things i love about playing online is i can dm you and you and like Mm -hmm. i could dm navar and jeremy you don't know what i just sent him or if i Mm -hmm. sent it to him at all Mm -hmm. as a a round the table player i'm a big fan of handing a player a note that says read this chuckle uh say no and then hand it back
2: (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh yeah excellent
3: especially in games that have a horror element Mm -hmm. um I really like stuff like that, just to keep the players on edge and keep the game flowing. I think I can stem it back to like moments like that with Tony. He was very good at keeping us in game and keeping us on our toes in that regard. Mm. Um, if you want to back up, um, when I ran the game at D&D in a castle, my player spent an entire day trying to teach a bird magic.
0: Yes. I remember hearing about this at the event. Is, <laughs> is it, is it, essentially it was like a random bird, right? That they decided oh, to become yeah. interested in. And then it became yeah, so key, I, key to the campaign.
3: Yeah. Um, they, one uh, of them had changed their character to be a druid. Um, the day before we started. And I was like, oh, that's fine. It doesn't affect anything. And they clocked sort of low level magical weirdness of, if within like the first ten minutes, I'd given them like something's up with the world, like with like there's a sort of slightly greasy film on reality. I think is how I described it, uh, or there were some specifics. And one of them was like, okay, I'm gonna use speak to animals uh, to talk to a bird and see if they can sense anything weird about it, because I'd ad libbed like, yeah, there's like some of the bird song is weird, because mm. like about half the birds are uh, singing in unison. Because um, I thought, well, what a what a what a absolutely consequence free creepy thing to describe. <laughs> yeah, no. And so one of the players, uh, Gli- uh, Glynis, just was like, "Speak to animals." There's a, I was like, "Yeah, there's a magpie because that was the last bird I'd seen before I went into the game, <laughs> game in in the world." Mm-hmm. Which went, "I'll speak to the bird." And I so I have this thing which is like, if I, if you are coming to my game and you do the thing, more players do we You're like. Um, okay, you've arrived at the town and you've got the thing and you've you've got the, the, the spell bomb and you have you know you have to get the spell bomb to the wizard's tower so they can defuse it. And the wizard's tower is there and the wizard's outside it and he has an exclamation point over his head and he's waving at you and he's made you a meal. And um, so you, you, the, the wizard there and there's a blacksmith and there's a, a bridge over there and you've got to get over the bridge and the players go, cool, I'd like to speak to the blacksmith for an hour. Um, yeah. I have a thing. It's from improv. It's an improv character creation trick, which is um, I think I think I have a video about this on the YouTube channel. But I'm bad at YouTube, so I don't upload stuff much. Um, but I have the trick I use is just going opposite, arbitrary, or extreme. And so, pick a trait that's associated with the um, the sort of stereotypical role you've got. So, for example, a blacksmith. What's a traditional role of a, a metal worker? A traditional trait a metal worker character would have. Mm.
0: Um, I guess yeah
3: Yeah, strong Strong. great so we go with strong so uh, if we go extreme we have the strongest man in the world or she uh, or the strongest person in the world operating as a blacksmith in this town Mm -hmm. and so their thing that differentiates them from anybody else is they are ludicrously strong and in this case they've chosen to use it exclusively for smithing tools or weapons Um, what's like uh, if we did dentists what's a dentist trope
1: Mm. Um, <laughs> that's a suicide <laughs> no
3: no i'm so sorry uh, uh, what <laughs> that's
1: from I a. don't movie. know where that came. it's okay. from uh god the whole nine yards with uh um, oh, i have bruce willis and, and it's an old old movie old yeah. for young, <laughs> young people who listen to the show
2: yeah <laughs> okay all of the, but, so, well, that's, all that's, of the that's a good sp- <laughs> that's,
3: <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a, that's a that's a good specific example, but if we're going for like the um, most generic, if, like the other most famous pop culture dentist
0: costume. <laughs> yeah, the most famous pop culture dentist I can think of is the one from Little
3: Shop of Horrors. So sadist. So a sadist. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. What's the opposite of sadism? Um. Right. I guess masochism? Fear of causing. Uh, that's one way of going at it. I would go like fear of causing harm. Yeah. So if you have a dentist who is horrified at the idea of causing another person pain. Um, then you have like this anxious, reluctant to do their actual job dentist or a dentist who like every time somebody opens their mouth, he's like, okay, open wide. <sighs> oh, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> like, but you've got an instant character there. You don't need to know anything. You can work mm-hmm. out the details of the character, like what the name is later. Yeah. But you have a thing you can play as a DM. And arbitrary was the way I went for this bird. And so I was like, I don't know, uh, magic. <laughs> and so I was like, this bird just wants to learn about magic but is a bird can't read doesn't fully understand what it is and um so yeah the bird just added that he was interested in magic and he'd found a magical scroll which was um part of a promotional flyer from a local inn but he can't read and they spent an hour of game time using cantrips to convince this bird he was doing magic um and so and so I was like and they were like, come with us. And I guess the, like, there's, the bird has no reason to be like, oh, these people have turned me into a god. Of course I would. Like, he may as well. And so they kept, uh, I think they called him Eddie. <laughs> uh, and they kept him with them for like the entire campaign. And thanks to some stuff they did on the second day, all of them basically got infused with the power of a god, <laughs> um, including a bird. Paul, where can the people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me, uh, you can find my content on Twitch at uh, twitch.tv slash You can find, currently, you can find uh, me and questing time on Twitter at at Paul Foxcroft and at questing time respectively. Uh, for now, um, you can find us at Blue Sky at whatever the Blue Sky thing is, questing time. And uh, on Instagram at questing time comedy. Because somebody else has questing time and they don't post. That's <laughs> um, really annoying. Oh, I'm not paying um but that's where you can find our stuff um and also we uh oh, there's a patreon um which is well i don't know how that works I'll just google it live now and um i here's the thing i hate the patreon like but it's also a useful thing to have yeah. but i i hate mm. that it's a thing mm. i hate the concept of me have me not having to do patreon it just i feel awkward about it mm-hmm. incredibly because i i'm bad at selling myself asking fans patreon.
0: for money basically yeah
3: yeah 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 um but um so that is a thing and uh that that with luck there'll be live shows in london and i'm hoping with the new setup we can film them and start putting them on to the uh, ether yeah now the ether the internet this is incredible <laughs> sorry i'm a victorian scientist
0: yeah um, your brain is clearly very muggy right now yeah um, <laughs> you have
3: no idea
1: that's a good call
0: no. back, jeremy hey yeah. uh <laughs> navar where can the folks find you? And first of all, thank you so much, uh, Navar, for stepping in here uh, yeah, as course. once again, Always fulfilling, fulfilling your role. Yes. uh An amazing Avenger. Could you please tell the folks where they can find you and the things that you make? Yes, uh, folks,
1: since last time I was here, more things have happened. So uh, you can find me on social medias that I use. Um, which is primarily Twitter and blue sky at Navar SNP. That's N A V A R S N P. Um, You can listen to my content, uh, the secret nerd podcast, which is my interview show. Uh, You can listen to my, um, last of us review podcast called escape the dark with my uh, wonderful dear friend Indrani from disease and dragons. Uh, you can listen to my me do reviews and interviews or about pathfinder content on no direction uh, that I co-host with my friend, Esther, and you can listen to me play a, a, sad traumatized 18 year old Jedi Padawan escaping order 66 on the wonderful AP called an unwavering force follow us over there at unwavering force um also I guess while I'm doing this my game that I created um called the corrupted which is a last of us inspired apocalypse game Mm -hmm. is being published uh as we speak uh those who are at gen con will see it at gen con which I think this will come out afterwards but um -hmm. I hope you looked while you're there uh past people and uh, (laughs) if not if you missed it you could still go to plus one exp and order order the game online and uh uh, while that's available and get it a published version to your house so uh everything else just check me out on itch.io navarasmp.itch.io and i think that is all for Mm. yeah thanks for having me on as a host this is always a good time
0: Absolutely. Uh, It's it's wonderful to hear about all the new things that you're doing uh, since since last year. Um, Yeah. Well, that was what I was about to say. Like, it feels like these plugs start to balloon because I'm Mm -hmm. about to come in with like six different things. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, uh, So uh, I have been Jeremy Cobb and I remain Jeremy Cobb when not doing this show. You can follow me on Twitter and Blue Sky at Jeremy Cobb 1 that's Cobb with two Bs and the number 1. Uh, you can also uh check out my show The Quantum Reactor which is a sci-fi movie review podcast that I do with friend of the show Andrew Coons. Uh I also stream on Twitch on Tuesdays and Thursdays at Casual Quest uh at casualquestlive.t it's .twitch wait twitch.tv, what is the I- I'm looking at yeah, I believe twitch it's Twitch. TV dot, yeah, Twitch.tv slash CasualQuestLive. That's what it is. Uh, I stream uh, Fallout New Vegas on Tuesdays and uh, Deus Ex Human Revolution on Thursdays. Neither of which I have ever played before, and in fact, I've barely played any games that involve shooting before. So, mm. if you want to see me figure <laughs> out how to play uh, shooting games uh, and have a wonderful time with some wild uh, and quality games, go check that out. Uh, also, uh, I'm gonna be doing. D3 at C this fall. So Mm. I'm going to be running an Utarum campaign, no less. Uh, So if you've ever wanted to play in the world of Outlaws and Obelisks, there are still spots open at my table. Uh, D3 at C, I believe you can go to D3 at C dot com and it would be the fall round, which I believe is leaving on October 29th and returning November 5th. Uh, So, And I'm also going to be doing a one-shot at that event. If you've ever wanted to play Paradox Perfect, uh, the, the amazing game that we've played on the show a few times if you've heard when we played it with Brendan Lee Mulligan uh if you heard when we played it with NADpod Pod uh, if you enjoyed either of those uh come come to D3C at C and play it with me uh at at D3C at C. it's going to be an absolute blast and a <laughs> new thing to announce I am going to be a player on uh the upcoming roll for it streamed series Call of Cthulhu series uh Project Morana uh, uh. So you know, check that out. I'm playing a very sad man, just a sad uh, hockey coach man. That's uh, nice. so the best kind of yes. man to play is a sad man. Yeah, <laughs> nice. sad. A sad big hockey coach man. Uh, nice. Get get ready. Get ready for some sads <laughs> uh, and some horror. It's gonna be great. Uh, so yeah, that's. I think that's pretty much all the things I'm doing. And of course, this is Three Black Halflings. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at uh three b three b what is it? Oh my goodness. At three, <laughs> that's <laughs> number three, Black Halflings. It used to be TB Halflings, but you know what is still TB Halflings? The Patreon. Patreon.com slash TB Halflings. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram. I don't know if we have a blue sky yet, but we will soon. Uh, at three, number three, Black Halflings. Yeah. Uh,
3: if, you, if you don't, I just got an invite code.
0: <laughs> oh, excellent. Well, there we go. Sorry. We're going to be on there imminently. So go <laughs> yeah. follow yeah. us in all the places. Oh, and I didn't plug my Instagram. Go check out my... It's It was such a tradition to say... Follow me on Instagram and I didn't know what it was. Now I do, at the Cobbmeister on Instagram. Uh, so yeah, go go check out all of those things. There's so many things, so much to do, so much to see. So what's wrong with taking the back streets? Uh, with, on that note, so long, Shire Folk. So long, Shire Folk.